0: Hey there. Hi, Cool August. Are you ready to roll? Um, cool August, you're the only one here right now. So if you have something you want coaching on, please raise your hand. Okay, you got it. You can think, think, think. Meanwhile, I will just start a little interesting um, observation I had with my daughter starting fifth grade this week, you probably have heard me talk about working for emotions versus working for outcomes. And we, as women are socialized to be hyper-focused on our emotions. And an example of that is, is oh, you're so emotional, Um, like we have fear around being emotional and it just seems like we're sort of wrapped up in this vortex of emotion. Well, that's not a big deal to have emotions, everybody does and they're very important and give us lots of information but when we're working to feel a certain way then that can kind of derail us from making any significant progress. Working for an outcome on the other hand, something that's an objective um, external Outcome helps train the brain on action that can be taken. And then as you make progress towards the outcome, your emotions actually take care of themselves. It's this most magical thing. So the way that this played out in my own house this week was like this my daughter's 10 and she just started the fifth grade. The last couple of years, every morning was a friggin' nightmare tears, yelling, getting spun up, not getting ready. lot of anxiety, um, sensitivities around tags and seams and socks and shoes, and this isn't right, and that isn't right, and she gets spun up, my husband gets spun up, I get spun up, and it's just this whirlwind. It was uncomfortable for everybody, particularly her, and this year, I asked her several days before school started, I just asked her what she wanted her mornings to be like? Like, what did she want for her mornings? And she said, you know, mommy, I want to go to school on time. And so that's her external goal. And I said, okay, well, what do you need to do in order to make it to school on time? And I just posed that question to her. And she went off about her business and came back with this schedule she wrote out, starting with the time she wakes up and kind of like a line by line thing of what she's going to do between the time she wakes up and the time she goes to school. And it was super sweet. It was very detailed. And I said, okay, let's put this into action. And on day one, which was Tuesday, she did. And I kid you not, she was 25 minutes early for school. Like this was nuts, completely unheard of. And Something we have never experienced. And she loved it. So at the end of the day, I asked her for, like, we kind of debriefed on it. And I said, Well, what did you think about this morning? How did it go? And she said, It was awesome. I said, Well, why was it awesome? And she said, Well, I was early and I love being early. It was so great to be early. And then she thought a little more and said, You know, mom, there was no stress this morning. I think that was really great too. So it was just so peaceful. I said, huh, isn't that interesting? And I said, you know, you made that happen because you decided that you wanted your mornings to go a certain way and you made your plan, you did your plan. And now you get to experience the benefit of having done your plan. And she just smiled and she was so bright and, I think really connected to this notion that it's not even a notion. It's just a fact that she was able to create an outcome for herself. Um, So we've been doing that every day this week. It's been, it's continued to work as well each day. It's day three. So um, I don't know how many days we can go until we're like, okay, this is the new way, but so far it's been going very, very smoothly. So I wanted to share that example with you all as um, a way to understand how when you work for an objective outcome, you end up feeling good as a byproduct. So the emotion takes care of itself. However, when we work for an emotion, we're typically spinning um, We're typically spinning in ineffective actions that just are functioning to assuage how we feel that's that so any questions on that um we have somebody here named cool august and she has something we're going to coach on so let me put pull her in hello hi jessica hi
1: Oh, it is kind of cool, even though it's August here, so um,
0: wait a <laughs> second,
1: I don't believe you. <laughs> I know, yeah, I know, isn't Midwest that like the surface of the sun? And you need yes, jets. yeah, right. exactly. Okay, so here's something I've been thinking about like, um, call has been the bane of my existence for it seems like my whole life since we were fight yeah. youngins, okay, and I just I get so tired and especially if I'm operating all night, like I start having these thoughts of this sucks. I don't know why I'm doing this. And I I think I'm just where, where I'm at is like, I just get so miserable. And I, maybe this is from doing some work. I'm like, well, actually, of course I would feel miserable. Everybody would feel miserable if they're up all day and all night and it's 3am. So May so. I'm trying to be more understanding of that and give myself grace. Um, but maybe we could run a model on that, like that the, with the thought of um, call release. Really
0: okay, <laughs> so um, I want to be very, very honest with you and everybody, and I have noticed that sometimes we use the model. Mm-hmm. To- bludgeon ourselves and try to make a shitty circumstance tolerable. And the way we're taught in the life coach school is that the circumstance is neutral and that's fine. That's one way to think about it. And I think that's fine if that's how people want to think about it. And I did for a very, very long time. And then I started to think more logically, like if you lined up, 100 (laughs) surgeons who take call the majority of them, maybe even all of them are going to have the same opinion. Yes. That call sucks. Yep. (laughs) So if, if, if we sampled a reasonable population of people and they come to the same conclusion, I've just started putting that in the circumstance instead of trying to Do mental gymnastics in order to make it tolerable to do something I hate. Right. Yes. And I just want to make a point of this right now because Mm -hmm. there's this thing with women that we don't think we're allowed to hate stuff we don't think we're allowed to complain. We don't think, and I'm not saying this applies to you necessarily, but in general, right. Oh yeah. I don't think we're allowed to think call sucks, but it does. <laughs> it totally yes.
1: sucks. Yeah.
0: Like who does it? Like, I, I actually know of a handful of people who don't think it sucks, but they're also like crazy. Right. So, Glutton's Yeah, I mean, there are, like, these um, adrenaline junkies who, like, actually really thrive on it. Um, But I don't think that that's – I think that that's the exception to the typical patient. And other people can weigh in. Um, And if you – do you want me to rename you my friend? Hold on just a second. Cool, August. Or do you care if your name is on there? Uh, Oh. um well, your name is cool, August, but the other one is her name is oh. still in here. So I just want to make sure, sorry to depart. Um, we're going to call her breezy, easy breezy, mm-hmm. easy breezy. Okay. Um, so that's that. And here's the thing is I've taken a stand in my life and hopefully in the lives of other women surgeons to be a point of reference for, okay this is not reasonable or this is reasonable. Um, and yes, they are thoughts and yes, we can interrogate our thoughts. And yes, there's a lot of power that comes from up-leveling your thoughts. But if we do it at the expense of our own desires, it's not worth it. So the, the, Real point of it is, is do you have a desire to take call or do you want to stop taking call?
1: Would you rather? Well, that's really, yeah. Um, (laughs) Well, I have been able to cut back a little bit, but we're in between partners right now. So I'm back to full time. Um, But I, I, part of the other part of the story is because we're also in a, mid sized hospital, but we get a lot of transfers, and we're getting even more transfers than we had previously because there's less surgeons in general and so um i have i know that our c- our c m o has made some agreements of us covering other hospitals that we were not part of, and that's very frustrating and and I'm trying to deal through those and you know, and I, I, so it doesn't matter those, those things, yes, need to be addressed, but the real feeling is like, um, Paul just sucks. And especially at two or 3 AM. And I remember hearing a podcast on, I think she was an oral surgeon that was, uh, sharing when she, I, I forget what the breaking point was, but she would have suicidal ideations. I don't have that, but Mm -hmm. I could totally see how that could happen for somebody and actually her sharing that made it even more, you know, normalizes that yeah. of course it really sucks and that we feel really crappy.
0: Yeah. Um You can become psychotic after three days of not sleeping. Like a like a totally functioning, yeah. Mm-hmm. DSM diagnosis kind of person can become mm-hmm. psychotic after three days of not sleeping. And if you know Michelle Winner-Chestovich, I think is her name. She's a family oh, yes. Sister yeah. Gretchen mm-hmm. was a radiologist who had three days of like hectic work or whatever. And I don't know the details, so I don't want to misspeak. But mm-hmm. um, that was the storyline I heard was that after three days, she became suicidal because she mm-hmm. basically had a psychotic break. Like, this is a major issue, right? This isn't right. potatoes. This is not just physician well being. This is patient safety. This is human right. safety. This is like, you would never get on an airplane if you right. had just been up all night long. You wouldn't do that. It's not allowed. Exactly. It's not allowed. So, here's the thing what do we really want? What would this new world be like what would what would make call a win for everyone yes (laughs) so there are ways that people are doing this right there are ways yes there have yes like nocturnists now yeah there are people who do shift work there are um like sometimes if people work in a busy call, uh, or like a call heavy practice, yes, they arrange to have the next day off. Yes. Um, there, there are ways to advocate and change systems. Um, now I sound that like, I think this is super easy to do. I know that it's not, I know we're like butting up against really, really, um, right you know, the, like institutions, right. We're, we're butting up against institutions, but if we keep doing it, if we keep showing up and just being like, all right, the CMO is going to put these contracts with 45 outlying hospitals in the middle of nowhere, then for sure, I'm going to just keep showing up and just taking it.
1: Oh, then they just ask right. for more because right. that's exactly.
0: exactly. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm kind of getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but what do you want? Do you know?
1: Um, I, when I take less call, I'm, I definitely am in a better state of mind. Yeah. And then I can, you know, cause I have a really strong elective surgery practice that, that definitely suffers when I take more call.
0: Yeah. Okay. Let me get my little whiteboard. Hang on just a second, my friend. I switched rooms in my house. So everything's backwards.
1: I thought it looked different. It looks pretty.
0: (laughs) Same color because we had painted the wall the same color, but um, we're trying to accommodate the petting zoo. So I have a bunny like next to me in a gigantic cage. It's kind of fun. She's (laughs) like an animal. animal.
1: That's right.
0: Okay. So I think if you don't mind, cool, August, can we use this example of what it means to work for an emotion versus work for an outcome? Yes, definitely. Cool. 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 Okay. Can you see? Okay. So I've started to call this um, cause it is a model, but I've started to call this like autopilot or default. I think default's what I've always called it, but like autopilot. It's when it's when things are kind of just going without our, without us exerting something on the, the whole cascade of events. So it could be pilot it could be referred to as default, or even like the survival mode. Survival mode. Okay, so the C is call, and your T is this sucks, (laughs) in so many words. And the feeling is what? Desperation. And so then what do you do? complain which is great yeah
1: and make uh don't like then I'm like oh I'm so tired then I can't get other stuff done like the I mean not only the call stuff done like the hospital and patient stuff done definitely not the other stuff done too
0: so fall behind yes what do you think about I hate call
1: (laughs) My life sucks.
0: <laughs> yeah, Why did FNL. I do this? Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and then what's the result? It's it sucks. Call totally sucks. Yes, which is bad for the patients and bad for everyone. It's bad for the world, right? It is. Okay, so now with this. We don't really have the result in mind because these, when we feel desperate, the actions that come out of that, they're so tightly linked. It's like, it's like, it's, it's automatic. It's like a reflex, you know? And, um, I also have noticed in just like lots and lots of coaching people. And then also doing this in, in my own life, it's like, when we're in this mode, there's this obligate forward motion like the circumstance triggers the thought and the thought creates the feeling and then the feeling drives an action and then the action creates the result but what's really cool is that when we work strategically when we exert our mental effort on this um, and we pick I call it an ideal outcome so what would your ideal outcome be? Would it be like no call at all? Less call? um, Just less call. Less. Let's be specific. Like how many per month? Mm, three. Three, and that's a 24-hour shift? Yes. Three 24s per month. And then let's be really, really specific here. Three 24-hour shifts per month. Would you want the next day off?
1: Yes, I would take the next day off.
0: So three um, 24-hour shifts followed by three 24-hour off. I hope that makes sense. Right. Okay. Is that sufficient for you? Like, would that, when you when you think about that, like if your job suddenly said, well, next month you're only on for three, three calls and each of the times you have to- a built-in day afterward, Um, yeah, Yeah, well, so actually
1: I probably do like a whole weekend, like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then not plan my typical operating day on Monday. The problem is, is we don't get any pay for call other than the RVUs of doing the procedure. So that makes it kind of harder to justify you take a financial hit by doing that.
0: Yeah. I mean, everything has risks and benefits, right? But exactly. like here's here's the thing, the the survival this autopilot mode also has risks and benefits, and there are significant risks to you and significant risks to your patient. Exactly. Yes. So we just have to be really complete when we're thinking about the whole thing. Um mm-hmm. okay. But but when you look at that as an outcome, are angels singing for you? Is that like yes? That's exactly what I want.
1: Well, definitely more angels than this angel. The dark angel in the first <laughs> model.
0: The angel of
1: death.
0: <laughs> okay. So if that's the case, then we can work backwards now. Yes. figure out like, okay, well, what would be required of me? How would I need to show up? And what would I need to do in order to get this outcome? So exactly. the, first, the first thing I can think of is like, well, I better look in my contract and see what is what I agreed to do.
1: Right. Okay. Yes.
0: So check contract. Do you know what it is?
1: Mm, I think it just says ER call, but, but that's the thing. Like I agreed to take ER call for our hospital, but now it's so much more encompassing.
0: Yeah. Um, I think it's really important to know what that language is. So you know what your responsibilities are and then you know what your rights are. Mm -hmm. Okay. So step one, check your contract okay, what else would you need to do in order to make this a reality?
1: Well, talk to the CMO and my partners.
0: Talk to CMO, oops, CMO and partners. And ask, Mm -hmm. right? Like you have to make a request, but I would also advocate for asking in a way that emphasizes how everybody wins. Can you imagine what that might be?
1: Well, yes, because especially if I take less call, then I'm going to do more of my elective specialty surgery, which brings in more money for the hospital.
0: Ah. Okay, more elective surgery. Um, You will uh, be more... You won't fall behind. Yes. Um,
1: I'll be more pleasant. Well, I'm not gonna guarantee that one.
0: <laughs> Probably would be more pleasant. Um, yes. <laughs> my call situation's completely different, and I feel like my life is unrecognizable because my call situation has improved so dramatically. Yeah, right. I mean, it's it's this is a thing. This is a thing that we deal with. Okay. Um, what about your partners? Like if you don't take the call, who is,
1: I know that is the problem.
0: It is, but it just, it tells you what you need to overcome to make it happen. Right. So like who could take care of it, who could do nighttime call. Right. So I'll just say, figure out who, who yeah. can take call. Mm-hmm. And how would that be good for the hospital? Um, what else? Um, This is going to sound kind of vague, but I'm just going to say engage with influence because if we go in, okay, let me just do, this is an aside. Women are walking a tightrope at all times, women surgeons. And it's this tightrope in which it's basically held up by inequality. And on one hand, we're either a wet noodle. And on the other hand, we're Uh. a raving bitch lunatic. And we're constantly on this tightrope trying to figure out how to show up pleasantly enough, but also with m- enough assertiveness, you know, yes. so as to not be blah, 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 blah. blah. It's a tightrope and it's fueled by inequality. So I recognize yes. that. That being said, there is a way to engage with anybody, whether it's your children, your partner, your um, colleagues, the CMO that is, magnetic and inviting and not repellent, but it doesn't require you to be sicky, sweet or manipulative or people-pleasing. Believe it or not, it exists. And the way you do it is by understanding what, whoever it is you're engaging with, what do they value? What is a win for them? People really, really, really love to be seen, which is easy for us to do. We do it all day long. We're the best at it. Right, They want to be seen, they want to be heard, and they want to feel like people are helping them meet their goals. So that's what you got to do. Like when you show up to the CMO, it's really important to understand what is the CMO's goals? How can he look good? Mm -hmm. How can you show up in a way with a plan that makes him look good?
1: I know what it is. It's he wants... If we accept the patients that are called from the transfer center, then he doesn't have to get involved. The the administrator on call doesn't have to be involved. And he can say Ah. he accepts all these patients.
0: Mm -hmm. So how can you do that and reduce your call?
1: That is a good question.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But like, until we ask, our brain will not set to figuring it out. I mean, right. I can think of a million ways in which hospitals are doing this all across the country. Hospitals are hiring locums. That's not my favorite thing, but they're hiring mm-hmm. locums. There's places like Synergy and CMG that hire like people like me. That's what I do now. And I go for a week at a time and I just cover the ER. So, mm-hmm. that the, So the community surgeons who do work there don't have to take they love it. They freaking love it mm-hmm. because I'm they sure don't they have do. to take call. It's good for them. It's good for the hospital. It's good for the patients. It's good for me. Everybody wins. Um, there are some places that do what I mentioned, like a nocturnist sort of a thing where they have 12 hour shifts. And so like people are just splitting things. There are other ways in which people have um, advanced practice, blah, blah, blahs doing a first level of call so that what you're taking care of is like the stuff that actually needs to go in now that obviously requires app's that know what they're doing um but the point is is that there are ways to make this happen and until we ask the question your brain doesn't have any direction your brain needs a question to answer so You may not come up with this in the next 30 seconds, but it's just something to think about as you prepare to make this thing a reality. Or just say, Mm -hmm. hey, it occurs to me that what is best for the hospital and what is best for you is that we are a place that accepts everything, no questions asked. Mm -hmm. And I understand that. And I think that that would be great because we're a great hospital and blah, blah, blah. However, this isn't sustainable for me or my partners. And we need to figure out a different way to do it in order to continue to move our hospital, you know, like Mm -hmm. whatever I'm spitballing. But do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like inviting him in to participate. It's an idea. idea. Yeah, no, I think that. And part of, part of that argument is, listen, man, Another thing that I know means a lot to you in this hospital is the revenue I generate with my elective practice. My elective yeah. practice has taken a hit, and here's why: like you, or not why, but here's the data. If you even had data to show what you lose because you're losing one or two or three days of elective cases, do mm-hmm. you see what I'm saying? And suddenly, yeah, it becomes, definitely, it all becomes tangible. Okay. So engage with influence and skill. That's kind of what that all means. Do you have questions? No, I like that. Okay. Here's the next thing. Your partners will probably buy into this too, because my guess is, is they don't like call either. Oh, right. (laughs) And I wonder, and sometimes people like it more than others. Like if they don't have a lucrative elective practice, they might really, they might depend on the cases that come in. Uh And so they, And you would never know unless you ask. Right. Okay. Next thing is feeling. Here's the fun part about this. When we're working backwards, the feeling doesn't matter. And I have proof. Mm -hmm. Here's the proof. When we were all in med school and in residency, we were working for one single outcome. That was to become a surgeon. And think about how much of that time we spent feeling like absolute total shit.
1: A hundred percent.
0: It was like a lot of time,
1: but we kept
0: plugging away. We kept showing up. We kept doing the things over and over and over again. And look, we got a result. So that tells us that when we work backwards, the feeling doesn't matter because we can do all of these things from desperation. We can do all of these things from anger, irritation, resentment, and all of it. You can continue to feel that emotion and redirect yourself.
1: Right. Yes, we are just, good at that.
0: We're so good at it. We're like experts at it. Um, but it just requires effort to redirect. Okay. Right. Here's the funny thing, though. When you're working for an outcome, the feeling usually takes care of itself. That's the that's the first fun byproduct is that you feel good as a result of taking action towards something that makes the world better for everybody. It just is a thing. It just works itself out. It's the craziest thing. However, the experience of it all, when you're slogging away, obviously would be more pleasant if you could feel some kind of a positive emotion. So what would be an emotion you would desire to feel while you're executing this plan?
1: empowered
0: yes oh that's a good one because that's exactly what this is taking action in an effort to make everything better for everyone including you is noble and it's worthwhile and it's very empowered so that's a great emotion what would you need to think in order to feel empowered um That
1: it's gonna be okay. <laughs> okay, that I've made a difference. That's gonna allow me to keep practicing and other instead of just not someday.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, I'm trying to think of like like a power statement, something you can really grab onto. Because you're going to be feeling shitty. Most of the time is my guess. Sorry to, to break. Right. Those. Yes. Um, but it's nice if we have that one little glimmer, that one little breath of fresh air that can just snap us back. Right. And, and I'm just trying to think of what that might be. Um, I am willing to do whatever it takes to make this situation not suck. Yeah, Something that's like that. Like when we add in the I'm willing part, um mm-hmm. in the like it gives your mind so much space and it in it it's not like I have to do this. It's I'm willing to do whatever it takes. That's pretty true because we're pretty much willing to do whatever it takes. Yeah, we right. We demonstrated that that's kind of our MO. Um, something like the outcome is worth it for everyone. I'm right. willing to do whatever it takes to get this outcome for everyone. Just something yeah. like that. How does that settle?
1: Yes. No, that is true because I I don't, I think the other the other surgeons would like that too, if we can come up with something.
0: One thing that I use in my own, um, is patient safety is like my,
1: yes, my mission.
0: That's what I discovered overall. This all started out as a way to save myself because I was just drowning in anxiety. This was like eight or nine years ago. And um, but what I've discovered is is what it really is is a mission to improve surgery for patients. But the way to make surgery better for patients is we need to make it better for surgeons. That's like the first stop on the way to making it better for patients, you know? So it that's the mission that I'm always on. And I'm always like, what is going to make this safer for my patient? What is going to make this safer For my patient, because I feel like it is such a um, fundamental part of doing this job in the first place. Um, So that's, I just wanted to share that's what I draw on when I get, when I'm over here in desperation land that's what snaps me forward. And I have to tell you that the way I was engaging with my former practice before I left that group in, um, October of last year is I was not engaging with them in a way that's the safest as it could be for patients. And I was good at my job and I wasn't doing anything egregious, but I was, I just wasn't, I, I, I wasn't putting that as my ideal outcome. And everything was right. just a constant vortex of really what it is, is the inequality that I was talking about a minute ago. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Yes. And I was just like drowning in it, which isn't yes. good for me. It's not good for the world. It's not good for the patients. It's definitely not safe for the patients. Okay. i right. really been on a little bit of a soapbox questions. <laughs> no I think I think that's good. I like that one all right um now, here's the next question that we wanna ask is are these actions you can take?
1: Oh, definitely. I've already you know started thinking about things and um mm-hmm. and I wrote an email I hadn't sent it yet mm-hmm. um but I'm gonna add to the bottom of it that you know. Mm-hmm. I, I know as CMO that you wanna you wanna accomplish these things, and we can mutually try to accomplish these things
0: together. Yeah, yeah, we are on the same mission, right? That's fantastic. I hope you tune in and let us know how things go.
1: Awesome, thanks, yeah. Jeff.
0: Thank you. Okay, we lost Easy Breezy, but that's okay. Okay, Sprinkles, you're up. Sprinkles. What happened? Hi, can you hear me? I can. Are you there? Damn it. Hold on. Sprinkles, I'm having a hard time with the tech. So cool, August. We're going to disable talking. And then... I did it. Oh, shit. Hold on, sprinkles. Bear with me. <laughs> okay, sprinkles, you- give us a test. <laughs> All right, can you hear me? I'm sorry and sorry my dogs are now going crazy. Oh, no worries. You
2: can hear me, okay? Though cuz my phone's been weird too yes. and my head Okay.
0: So what you just said really resonated with me and I think
2: it's been what I've really just been thinking a lot about and I wasn't sure there I'm not even sure really where where to start um so I guess one side of it is is trying to figure out these kind of recurring themes that I've had and what I can't figure out what the thought is that's driving the anxiety in these situations that Mm -hmm. I could maybe try to change. Um, But I think then also, yeah. So situation like today, for example, where I'm like on call, but I don't have anything set scheduled. And so I had a a case add on um, and I have, I have young kids and so kind of coordinating childcare can be like just a lot. So um, you know, if I don't have anything set scheduled, I'm kind of like, I don't necessarily want to have eight hours of childcare if, you know, cause my husband works out of the house. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I kind of have backup care and, but then I sort of having all this anxiety about, and I've gotten a lot better at it. Um, but about like we, things falling into place, I guess, where, sorry, I'm not explaining it very well. Um, where, so, like, for example, I had a case that I had to add on, so the OR had time in the afternoon, so I was like, great, I'll spend the morning with my kids, um, you know, I have nanny available for one of them, and I'll hang with the other one, and I'll get to enjoy just some time off, and then I'll have um, the afternoon nanny come at, like, 2 for a case that was scheduled at 3. That didn't end up going until 5, but, you know, that's what it is. Cool. Um, and a situation like that used to actually, so thinking about it now, I've definitely gotten better because a situation like that used to have like driven me absolutely like into a rage. Mm -hmm. If, you know, I coordinate everything around a three o'clock case and it doesn't start till five and then I have to re coordinate things and I spend all this time like re coordinating this and that to like then be home later and everything ends up working out fine. Yeah. So I don't know what is driving my thoughts of these spirals of like, I don't know if part of it is the anxiety of like, I'm supposed to be available to patients all the time and it's maybe a boundary thing or if it's a
0: time scarcity thing. Um, Can I just ask a question here? Like, yeah. uh, Is the issue that it's like unpredictable on call. And so you don't really know how to establish childcare or is it that you're on call and it's unpredictable. So somebody else needs to be fucking worrying about the kids.
2: I don't know. I mean, it could be as simple as then just making sure I have the nanny there all day, but it's also that like, I want to spend time with my kids when I can, because I do take a decent amount of call. And sometimes these are things on days that I'm not even on call. It's just like, I was on call the day before and then a case gets added on and falls over. Um. Yeah. I think it's more the thoughts of like, I quote, should be available to the patients at all times. And if Mm -hmm. I'm not because if I'm not because I'm in surgery or I'm not because I'm in the office with other patients, then that's like sort of okay. But if I'm not because I'm with my children, then that's somehow not
0: okay. This is so good. And this is very revealing. I'm writing it down on the board. You know how we talk about shoulds and we say, stop shooting on ourselves and all that stuff. I don't agree with that any longer. I say, should as much as you can and look at what you're shooting about (laughs) because the (laughs) should reveals something very important. The should reveals what we think we're not allowed to want. Yeah. It's awesome. It's awesome when you notice yourself saying I should do blah, blah, blah. And it gives you a direct pathway to what it is you think you're not allowed to want or have. Yeah. And I think oh. it's that like boundaries of
2: personal time when like, ah. yes, I'm available if there's an emergency, but if it's not a true emergency, I'm not available. I'll be there like at two and the patient can wait. And yeah, like it's fine. It works out fine. But then I like stress myself out over it and maybe tell myself that it's not okay but then I know that it is okay but then I always I don't know well okay
0: yeah so let's just back I think up it's just
2: that we were raised being told it's not okay to want things for ourselves right yeah so
0: human desire oh my god it's yeah. so powerful it's so powerful human desire is so powerful think about all the crimes people commit out of desire it's crazy um That's not the point though. The point is is that women's desire has been stifled historically and we need look no further than the very disgusting scolds muzzle is what I think it's called or a scolds something. I think it's spelled S-K-I-O-L-D muzzle or something. But what it is, is a metal face mask that got affixed to a woman's face and it has a spike That goes right through her tongue. And anytime she spoke and her husband didn't like it, he was allowed to order this scolds muzzle to be put on her. Anybody in the family could actually, any man in the family could order it. Um, It also was used on slaves and other, um, I don't know that much about the history of it, but just what I do know that was basically marginalized people. So if that was happening, As recently as the 1800s, which is not that long ago, that is a very glaring example of stifling a woman's voice, number one. But basically, when you stifle her voice, you stifle her desire. If anybody wants to go to Wikipedia, just take care ahead of time because it's really, really disgusting to read all about it. Um, I think you're right. Sprinkles, we have been socialized, and this is another version of this inequality that we're talking about that I was kind of rampant, you know, ranting about with the last client. The question is, is what to do about it? Yeah. You know, and it's very easy to say, oh, we'll just make boundaries. And in fact, that is the thing that you have to do. <laughs> then it's
2: feeling okay with those boundaries like I think that's where I'm getting it like I'm making this boundary that I'm available if there's an emergency if there's not anything short of a true emergency is gonna have to wait until I'm done with my time with my kids and like I've set that boundary and I uphold that boundary but then there's something about Mm. it that feels like
0: uh, a little
2: icky for lack of better words I I don't I don't know and I yeah, because it you think be simple, you're not allowed. Like, yeah. And um, I've only ever seen male surgeons who, you know, have wives take care of all the things, and so they are available anytime for anything.
0: And you just nailed the fundamental inequality. It's that yeah. male surgeons don't have to worry about the majority of the things that we are required.
2: But that then that goes yeah. down
0: to like the patients and the staff
2: and like like the patients who expect you to just be available to call them back and stuff like 24 seven. And I mean, a part of me is like, well, F that I don't want those patients anyways. Yeah. But I, but I am in private practice and I do want, I'm Like, I don't know, I guess it just kind of makes me spiral around this wondering of, am I in the right job model sort of, you know, like as you, huh been talking more about of just is the boundaries enough or do I need to really just separate home and work and would that be
0: Yeah I mean I think it's probably not the same for everybody and it may require some experimentation but I think the real thing is is it requires practicing a new way to think because it feels foreign to you now when yeah. you don't think you're allowed to do something it's sometimes we have a light bulb moment where literally a decision is made and nothing will ever be the same. You just don't ever go back. It's like, once you know, you can't unknow and it changes forever. So that happens. But then there are other things that are so deeply entrenched in the way we've been showing up as an individual for 40 years, but then as a people for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years. Right? So it's not, Always this easy thing to just flip your switch. But there's an exercise that I like to do that helps begin the process of rewiring your thinking. Great. So that
2: yeah, I think I have been doing, like, I mean, even as early as residency and stuff, I would set the boundaries of, like, okay, if there's not an emergency, even if I'm like on call, I'm going to go for like a quick run, but I'm going to hide it and sneak out and not tell anyone that's what I was doing. Like, that there's this element of guilt of like I shouldn't be doing something for myself. So I don't know, it's just like internal fight with myself that but...
0: Okay. So let me um, tell you the exercise first
2: and yeah, then thanks.
0: I would like to do something similar that we did with um, Cool August and set up what your ideal outcome actually is because getting an action plan together and giving you steps you can actually take it's very empowering. Okay, so first when you are like ruminating about this, what do you what are the sentences in your brain? What are you cementing as you like ruminate about this?
2: I don't know. That's why I've had a hard time nailing down exactly what it um, is. But
0: like my it, practice is it like my practice will fall apart if I don't answer every question within or 10 if I
2: minutes have many patients off by not being as available as they expect me to be.
0: Okay. Uh what was that?
2: Like if I piss too many patients off by not being as available as they expect me to be,
0: okay, I'll piss. Patients well, my practice, off. Um, they expect me
2: to be. I mean, some, some don't. Everyone's human, but there's. I, don't know. I feel like our culture, for the most part, expects doctors to not be human and to be available whenever they want us to be.
0: Um. Yeah, but let's keep. Think- okay, so our culture expects this. This is why it's really, this is an exercise for everybody. And I really want to go through it in this way so that you can practice these things on your own. When you're noticing that you're ruminating and spinning and spinning, just itemize what it is you're, you're actually ruminating about. Our culture expects availability, anything else that comes up right now?
2: That um, I'm expected to coordinate all the child
0: care <laughs> Uh, it's, it's my, uh, I have to coordinate childcare. Um, okay. So these are our, just the default thoughts, right? And they're this, what we ruminate about. And then you just ask yourself, is this true? Is this useful? And then what is? So I'll piss patients off. Is that true?
2: Maybe some of them.
0: Yeah, maybe. Maybe people will be pissed, but maybe they won't. But is it useful? No. No. So I'll put an M for...
2: What if it is because it prevents me from pissing off so many people that I don't have a practice anymore? But then that's not a practice that I really want, I guess. I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. So um, what do patients really want? Patients have come to us with the problem. Thankfully we're surgeons and we don't need to mentally masturbate about stuff all day long, but we have like, they have a problem that can be solved with surgery. Typically that's what makes them a surgical patient. So when they come to us with a question, what is it that they want?
2: An answer a resolution
0: yeah and typically they're afraid and yeah. sometimes there are other things in there like entitlement and blah 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 but for the most part they're not bad people right for the most part they're just like normal people who have a problem that needs a problem that needs a solution so the yeah. chances of people getting pissed off if you don't respond to a call in a reasonable amount of time i think are lower than our brains want us to believe um what would you say is a reasonable amount of time
2: i mean i guess it depends on what the concern or problem is but
0: yes and here's the other thing there's an expectation in our culture which you put like our culture expects availability how many times have you called somebody and their answering service says If this is an emergency, hang up and dial 911 or proceed to the nearest emergency room. If this is not an urgent or emergent issue, please leave a detailed message with your name and callback number and an office staff or like a nurse or whomever will get back to you within one business day. That's on my dentist phone. That's on... um, the optometrist's phone that's on who else? Like everybody has some version of that message on their phone and we hear it. every. Everybody in society who goes to a healthcare professional has heard that message. Don't you agree? Yeah. So why would you be any different?
2: Maybe because I do take call at the ER for things that are more,
0: emergent but well that's different right like if if you're on yeah. call there's yeah. probably like you have to respond yeah. within 30 minutes or something. Yeah. yeah but that's not patience just calling right it, am I not understanding what it is you're having concerns with
2: no I think you get it I'm just trying I don't know
0: <laughs> yeah because I want to make sure I have this so, right
2: I'm confused in my head with all these thoughts floating around that I don't even know what I'm telling myself.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay. Classic example. I was an idiot that gave my cell phone number out to a bunch of patients when I first started my private practice, because I was thinking I'm going to be the best. I they're going to love me. It wasn't for them. It was for me. It was so they would like me. And it worked because a lot of people got my cell phone number Definitely didn't have boundaries with these people. And as a consequence, I had patients texting me at 11 PM, multiple nights in a row for non-emergent things. I had one guy call me at 11 PM to ask me what my TV show was that I liked because he liked Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. I'm like, are you kidding me? It was 11 o'clock at night, but that was I did that action of giving my phone out to my personal cell phone. Yeah. You know, that's like legit no boundaries and it was consuming me. So I totally understand what that looks like and what that feels like and how you feel so obligated and under the water. And and then you establish that as the norm and then you can't go back. Can't change your phone. Okay. What are they going to think then if I change my phone number now? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. I, you know, obviously don't work in that practice anymore, but I really, really don't give my cell phone number out. It's, I have set up a boundary for myself now. Um, is, is that the sort of thing that you're talking about? Like you want to be so available for these people? I think it's maybe almost the opposite. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Tell us what that means.
2: I don't know. Maybe that I've set up all these boundaries and then I wonder if like, is that okay? I'm like asking for validation, maybe of like, I set this boundary that I'm going to have this time with my kids unless there's an emergency. But okay. is that okay? Like who's, you know?
0: Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I don't know who I'm your... asking
2: for permission from, but I think that's sort of what it is.
0: What does your logical brain tell you?
2: Uh, of course it's fine. Of course like, it's fine. Of course I have a, you know, if there's an actual emergency, I will be there. Yeah. And if it's not, they can wait another like hour or two and that's fine.
0: And you're talking about just being on call or are you talking about your practice? Uh, I mean, it's,
2: it's like a little bit of both, but. okay, um,
0: Do you have an exchange, um, for your, do you only, um, excuse me, you're a solo practitioner, right? Okay, and so then, for your practice patients, oh, I think I get it now. You're like on call all the time for these people pretty much, but i it, don't they have actually, a, not, don't you have that, an answering service or something like that?
2: Yeah, so I have like a voicemail thing, and people actually don't really abuse that for the most part, like I had one recently who did, but that's really it, so it's I don't know, it's more something of just what I'm telling myself. Yeah. So I'm like not that big of a problem. I'm just doing something weird in my head that I can't figure out.
0: Yeah. So that's where this exercise will be really helpful then, because we just have to rewire yeah. what you're thinking okay. and it takes effort. It takes repetitions. So every time you're like, I'm going to piss people off. It's a time to say, Oh wait, is that true? Maybe. Is it useful? No. Okay. Well then what is useful? I would argue the safety thing, like what's actually best for patients? What's best for patients is a system that they can rely on. Not sporadic answering here and there. What's best for patients is a system. So like, I'm sure in your very, very smart brain, you could think of a system that would be reasonable to you that would make sense for patients. Yeah. What would that look like?
2: I think it's just upholding that though. I mean, I already have in place like the answering service thing. And then for like, the ER call, and maybe that's a part of what's bugging me is more like ER call, because it's a small town. So like, either me or my previous partner are pretty much always on call. And so if it's like someone who I happen to have operated on, but I'm not on call, and they come to the ER, the ER will call me and I kind of want them to like, I want to take care of um, my own patients. But like, last Friday, at like 1030, they called me about my patient there. And I I didn't answer because I was like, I'm setting up a boundary. I'm not going to answer. I'm not on call, Um, but I still my boundary was weak enough that I looked at the ER board though to see why they were calling and saw oh the patient that I operated on is there so it's probably that and I looked at her vitals I'm like okay they'll be fine and they called like four times and I still didn't answer because I was like I'm gonna hold this boundary I'm not answering at 10:30 p.m. on a Friday when I'm not on call like my partner's perfectly capable of handling it who's on call Mm -hmm. so in the next morning I talked to him and they didn't call him
0: I was like what the Well, I mean, that's a completely different issue.
2: Yeah. Like, I, but it, yeah. So I think it's the, the boundaries in the community are a little okay. fuzzy because of this partner who's kind of always available. And so okay. I'm trying to establish my own boundaries where I'm not necessarily.
0: Okay. So that's what we're going to work on in just a second. But and I'll stay as long as it takes here for that. Well, not as long. I have to pick up my kid at 730. So <laughs> but I'll stay long to help you. So if you have time, I, I want to get through this. So then what you do when you do the exercise, and this is the repetitions we use to like create these new pathways that are like empowering thinking. We go from like this disempowered thinking to empowered thinking. So um, I'll piss people, I'll piss patients off is not, it's maybe true, not useful. What is true is um, I have a system in place. I have a I have a functioning system. Everything's okay. That's good for patients. They expect me to be available. Again, like you get the picture here, we go through it and we say is this true? Yeah. Maybe. Is it useful? No. What would be useful? I'm I'm available. When it matters. Yeah. Our culture expects availability. Maybe. Not useful. Every. Healthcare phone has that message. So I think our culture actually. Doesn't expect availability. They expect reasonable availability. Like. I don't think patients like to go days and days without a call answered, but I don't think we need to be giving our cell phones (laughs) like I did No, I like your,
2: I like your statement of I'm available when it's necessary, or I think we're reinforcing that in my own head that like,
0: and of course you are, of course you're, you're a good doctor. Of course you're available when, when it matters. Um, Okay. I have to coordinate childcare. Maybe that's true. It's not useful. And there's definitely a more empowered way to engage with other members of the household who might be able to participate in that job. Yeah. And then um, I won't have a practice.
2: Kind of like we went back on I don't necessarily want a practice where I have to bend over backwards and be available 24-7, anyways. That's right. Yeah. So that practice wouldn't if I suit you. That then that means I do need to do something else. I guess it's just maybe then coming back on those thoughts of like, if I can't survive a practice the way I want it to be or with those boundaries, then how do I know when it's imploding enough to get out before it totally <laughs> implodes, maybe? Oh, or, well. You no, know, if it is the right model or if I should be doing something else. or
0: Yeah. So, well, let's just work on right now, like an ideal outcome of having these boundaries with the community. So, the ideal outcome for you is boundaries with community, like the hospital.
2: Yeah.
0: And patients. And so, what would that look like?
2: I think it's me feeling okay with those boundaries. I feel like I actually pretty much have most of those boundaries in place. I just sometimes feel guilty about them because that's not the norm of the community or of other surgeons that I see. I think it's more working on that guilt of it, I guess. I don't know.
0: Okay, so you're doing something differently?
2: Um, Well, sort of that I have boundaries that are just a little bit, bit more like, they're just a little bit different boundaries than other general surgeons in the area who have no boundaries for these things are you
0: um are you uh the only woman yes here comes that inequality again because like these men don't have some of the same issues so it's like apples and oranges right they don't have some of the same issues that you have to deal with because of these inequalities that exist in the system and solving for the inequalities in the system will actually help you feel better about everything and solving for the inequalities of the system is what i'm working on figuring out i don't have it all figured out but one of the things is is doing what you fucking want and if what you want is to have um boundaries However, that looks for you and it's for the good of you, it's good of, for the good of your patients and your family and everybody wins, then that is worthwhile. Like it's, it's, a it's, um, doing what you want in that. Yeah. And that pursuit is going to be very, very useful and then not doing what you don't want. So those are the two steps. Do only what you want and then don't do what you don't want. <laughs> it sounds crazy, Fine. but it's because true. There
2: you don't want to do that. You kind of have to do or someone has to do.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. and. Anyways, my, my, my,
2: for go, time.
0: On, go on. Sorry, I'm talking over you.
2: No, I just said that can be a topic for another time, but I, I have a time fully buying. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do because there's obviously some things that we don't want to do that you kind of just... Have to do
0: this. There's this really interesting thing that happens when you start acting in the world with the principle of doing only what you want from this place of satisfying your deep, deep, deep desires. You become the fullest expression of who you are and what you have to offer the world. You start engaging with everybody around you in such a different way that it shifts, it shifts the world around you to where you actually then don't have many opportunities to not do what you don't want because it just doesn't come up. It's crazy. I know that this is how it goes because this is exactly what I've been doing. <laughs> and I don't know that I have the exact language dialed out for you right now, which I'm, I'm working on and trying to get there. And in fact, I don't have my um, notebook in my office right now, but I listed out like, what are the steps that get it done? Like that solve for inequality in your life and in, in all these different aspects of your life. Well, it's doing what you want and then not doing what you don't want. And then I think, okay, well, people are going to think that that's crazy and that couldn't possibly work. And they couldn't possibly do that because they have too many obligations or whatever. And then I think, well, yeah, it is possible, and it just requires us to develop these skills in order to um, do what we want. And so, one of the things is is speaking powerfully. Like I was explaining to um, the first person, when you're talking with somebody and you're speaking in a powerful and influential way, we're moving everybody towards a better place. I hope this isn't too vague, but that's a skill that many of us don't have for reasons we've talked about. Um, I had like eight things listed out, so, uh, it's all kind of in rough shape, but that's kind of the point of it. And a practical example of this is when I decided that I just wasn't going to be a part of my crazy practice any longer. I made a decision. It was one of those light bulb things where the switch was flipped and I wasn't going back. I was not going back on that decision. And I just started this plan to execute, to get out of the practice, to not burn bridges, to get my business started, to get a different type of practice going. I dabbled. I experimented. I got data from that stuff. I knew what I didn't like. I knew what I did like, and then ended up with this, um, group that I work with now. And all along the way, it was like a game. And I was only doing the things I wanted to do in service to this ultimate endpoint. And I have to say that as I've been doing that, the things that I don't want to do just aren't like coming into my orbit nearly as frequently. The thing I'm working on right now that I don't want to do is continue to see patients in my old group, which I've been doing. And that's, so it still has been coming up, but just not with the same frequency as before. So um, it does work and it does get it done. And you end up having the wherewithal and the skills and the power to just handle whatever comes up. sprinkles i apologize this feels incomplete to me because i don't yet have the language worked out on how to communicate this to you um
2: no or no it feels fine i think also i didn't really have the language to like figure out what my exact like problem was like i didn't know what it was but i think it does kind of come down to the boundaries and just practicing them more so that i don't feel guilty about them i don't know and because it's not modeled really you know I don't see other people around me yeah. doing it.
0: One so of like the things-
2: you guys doing it is always helpful.
0: <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that might be useful for you is is because it's we've kind of come back to that same line. Um is I'm not allowed to, to want these boundaries, yeah. or I'm not allowed to enjoy these boundaries. Um is an opportunity to practice touching in with what your desire actually is and reminding yourself that you are allowed. And not only are you allowed, is that it's your responsibility to act in accordance with your desire. Because when we act in accordance with our desire, we are showing up as this powerful person that makes the world better. Yeah. So when you don't do it, when you stifle it and you feel guilty about it, you're not showing up In a good way. And we see this because you're distracted with your kids and you're um, like ruminating, and it's impacting the way you show up in the world. So either we can feel guilty about this desire that we have and show up in a muted, uncomfortable way, or we can remind ourselves that that desire is our gift. It's the thing that makes us us. And when you tap into it and you give it a voice and you act on it, you become this force that's better. Like your children, your husband, your partners, the ER, your patients, everybody is engaging with you in the, with this version of you that is like, the difference it's like when yeah. uh, somebody is a superhero versus when they're Clark Kent like the nerd right like all stifled yeah oh my gosh i'm really having a hard time with my words yeah no i get it so so the point is is that it's like option a or option b and if option b is better for everybody it's not only allowed it's our responsibility Yeah,
2: that
0: helps. Thank you. I'm like, um, I don't know where this is landing, but that's okay.
2: No, it it does. Because it's, (laughs) yeah, being allowed to want and have those boundaries that I feel like I'm not supposed to want to. And I don't know where that comes from. It comes from society and stuff. So just being talked out of it, sort of, and like you were saying that, but if I don't, then that -hmm. doesn't benefit anyone, really.
0: Can you imagine what this world would be like if every woman was super powerful doing only what she wanted to do?
2: It'd be amazing.
0: It would be amazing. We would not have problems. I mean, we probably would have some problems, but theres it's not a surprise that this has been stifled because women uh, we're, power- were powerful people. Powerful mm-hmm. people. Okay. It is clear Thank to you. me it's clear to me that I need to work on my language for this like thing that I'm working out so that I can deliver it to you guys. And hopefully you can use it in your own life because that was very clunky. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Have a good night. You guys.